A is for apple. No. No. A for A. Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, it's Google I.O., Google A.I.O. I'm sorry. I'm so very sorry. Uh, Will, you are tired. Yes. You are, you are recovering from what I would say is an unfair amount of travel <laughs> for how little time you actually spent in California. Yeah. Yeah. I... It is what it is, you know? <laughs> it sounds like a whirlwind, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. But um, glad you're back in one piece and that you're here to regale us on, on everything you saw. Yes. Ara, you are Infinitely jealous. I am caffeinated, jealous. but infinitely jealous because both of you have a Pixel 7a and Will got to go to IO. Well, we can talk about the 7a. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I usually, like, on the AC podcast in the past, we would go through... The order of operation was usually like, let's just recap the keynote. I don't think we're going to do that this week because we're going to front load the hardware stuff, which was at the end of the keynote. And then we'll double back and talk about the AI. We're doing AI. it in reverse order. We're doing the hardware, yeah. then we're doing the yeah. AI, and then we're doing the general service features that were at the very beginning of the keynote and are the like the only thing I remember from the keynote. Because as soon as they got after like 1 or one fifteen, I was just half paying attention and half trying to get things ready for three o'clock. I was going to say, I am going to have to pretend that I uh, remember anything from the AI part of the keynote because <laughs> like once they started talking about hardware, that was the rest of my IO. So Okay, I did pay some attention to the AI stuff until they started yeah. getting into like the different models uh, beyond knowing that they are named after animals. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Palm 2 because that was interesting. But I do think before we go into hardware, I just want to say that like Google has made IO about AI for four years now, right? Since 2019, Google IO has always, like has basically, the keynote has focused on AI. And they've spoken about their large language models. They've talked about generative AI in some form for four years. This will be the year that people remember as Google's AI keynote. It's just in the public consciousness. People understand what it is in a way that they never did until ChatGPT just took over popular culture and internet culture and everything. And I think what was interesting about this year's show was that they didn't really just talk about, they spent a ton of time talking about like the fundamentals of AI and responsible AI. They talked about their new large language models that power all of the products that we're going to talk about, but they spent a good chunk of it just talking about the end user experiences that people are finally going to have with actual generative AI and helpful assistant features. And I think that's really interesting. I also think of all of the IOs that I can remember, this was the least mobile focused from a software perspective, right? They talked about yes. some Android features, yes, but those are pixel features at the beginning, I think, but they didn't talk about Android barely at all. I was going to say, even just by talking about those Pixel features, we're going to talk about Android probably for longer than they did because the segment was so short. Yeah. yeah. So we'll start with that. I mean, like, let's just talk about the hardware that was announced. We have the 7A in hand. You and I have it, Will. You reviewed it for the site. This was, I think, a more... I mean, there was nothing left on the shelf, right? Like, we knew everything 
about the 7A before it was announced, but the reviews went live right as Rick Osterlo left the stage. The first as, time. Yes, yeah, the first time. <laughs> um, as Google is wont to do. And I would say the reception has been good. Sure. But I'm like, a little confused why. Tepid. Can I be honest? I yeah, was going to say, yeah. it's been generally positive in the public, but I've, I've been listening to you crap on this phone for the last week, so I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. a little concerned. Like, you made me not try and pester anybody for a review unit. So I've been going crazy trying to figure out why my battery life has been so bad. You guys have seen me in Slack talking to Manuel, who has had significantly better battery life than I have. This phone is like almost spec for spec a Pixel 7. I have used the Pixel 7 as a daily driver, not in a few months, but like from basically like late November into January, like that was my daily driver. I was not seeing like Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 level battery life on that phone, but I was seeing like five to six hours of screen on time. And on this, I was like, struggling to hit four this phone would die by like 8 p.m on a moderate usage day i've been to be honest like communicating with google being like what's up with this like i'm still waiting for them to get back to me on like if there's some kind of bug with my unit but the advantage to reviews now being out and instead of me being in a bubble and only being able to talk to a couple other people who have the phone is that like I know The Verge said they were getting like three to four hours of screen on time. MKBHD said he was getting three to four hours of screen on time with self-described moderate usage. He said he was going to bed with like 10%. Both of those reviewers framed it more positively than I would. I I think The Verge said it was okay. MKBHD said it was fine. I think that's bad. Am I like, are my expectations too high for a 2023 smartphone? Like, the For five hundred dollars, it should be able to get you to like four and a half or five hours of screen on time. I mean, I don't think we should connect price to battery life. Like, I think we can connect price to sheer performance. But like the rivals of this phone, I mean, like it, it, it's just I don't know. I don't know. Daniel, do you have a take on this? I, I know you've had it. I don't know how much you've used it as your daily driver. If you've seen better battery life than I have. Yeah, I, I've seen better battery life than you have. I go to bed with around 20 to 25% left. Battery life has not been something I've thought of as a concern with this device, which is why I think you just have a bad unit. And it's I think if there was an overwhelming majority of people saying that this phone has poor battery life, that would be worth calling out. I'm not, not to dismiss your well, personal experience no but i don't I mean, know if it's an endemic problem yeah i also think fundamentally like it's got the same chip with the same screen and basically the same battery size as a pixel 7 so that you would expect it to have basically identical battery life to that and yes and that's where i'm coming not. from at it yeah and where I'm i like- can say for with confidence that the battery life on the pixel 7 is better than this. Yeah. And I believe it has to do with the screen. I was going to say, so a couple notes. First of all, you can go read my very, very long battery section in my review. I have not given the phone a score yet because I am still trying to figure out the battery situation on my end. And I didn't think it was fair to rate it low because, you know, there was one day where I got like 18% with like two hours of screen on time. And I was like, what is happening? First of all, I did transfer apps and user accounts over. Not that many (laughs) but uh i did that could cause a problem i don't think it is fair to give the phone a break if it did but i did like literally 30 minutes ago factory reset the phone it is sitting on my desk waiting to be reset up and i'm gonna set it up clean to see if that makes any kind of difference if it does 
that I don't know if that changes my opinion a whole lot because most people transfer apps and data over from their phone. It's really just like tech nerds, to be honest, who like are like, I want to set it up clean. I want to start fresh on this new device. I mean, then, it could yeah. also just have been an issue where something went wrong when you were importing everything and that's causing software hangups, which lead to battery drain. Yeah, but I'm not I'm not going to give them a break on that. Like, so if it, yeah, the battery life is obviously a major issue for you. It's a major issue for a couple of other people. I would say the more fundamental question, just going back to sort of a macro perspective on this whole thing is it is fair to expect a $500 phone to last all day, right? Like, Well, and they advertise it that way. If they're yeah. going to keep saying 24 hour battery life, like I'm not getting 12, like it's right. an issue. Yeah. Otherwise, how's your experience been with it? Okay. The other thing I was going to bring up was that like the screen, I, I, Daniel, I don't know if you read, if you had time to read my review this week, I would not blame you if you didn't, but I highlight our ongoing spat over the Pixel 7 display on this podcast, whether it's good or not. And I specifically say that how you feel about the 7's display is how I feel about this one. I don't think it's very good. I think it's a pretty big step down from the seven, like just next to each other. Yeah. It ships in 60 hertz mode. They do not enable 90 hertz by default. So if you buy this phone and you're like, why does this not seem very fast? That's like, why does the screen seem a little sluggish? That's probably why. And they talked that up to battery life concerns, which is, I don't know, a red flag to me. But yeah, I don't like the display this much. I did not really like looking at like I didn't like browsing through like Twitter or whatever because I'm still addicted to that stupid site. Someone send me a blue sky invite. Oh, but, said one for me too. <laughs> uh, but everything about that I, I don't love. I like the design. The camera bar is slimmer because the camera sensors are smaller so they can slim it down. And I think it makes the Pixel 7's camera bar feel like really chunky and dated in an interesting way where I was fine with it you know, seven months ago. And now I look at it and I'm like, it looks kind of ugly. I like the slimmer build, even though obviously, again, you were sacrificing sensor size. I think the camera is a pixel camera. Like I, I genuinely don't notice a big difference between the output of this versus the seven. And I think that you can chalk that up mostly to the fact of, of you can chalk it up to mostly how much like Google's whole focus is on AI and, and post-processing and computational photography. And so the hardware doesn't matter as much as long as they're using like a pretty all right sensor. Like that's not what they've built their camera brand on, you know? So I'm really interested in talking about the camera here because this has a 64 megapixel sensor, but nobody has divined the origin of this sensor. No, I yet. can't find it anywhere. <laughs> nobody has. I mean, I'm sure somebody will figure it out at some yeah, point. Yeah, they'll but tear it down or whatever. Yeah. Every Pixel camera has either been a Sony IMX 363 or a variant of that or a Samsung GN variant, right, in the Pixel 6 and Pixel 7s. And this is the first time that we've gone over 50 megapixels. So if you recall, the 12 megapixel sensor existed until the Pixel 6. The Pixel 6 gets upgraded to the 50 megapixel GN1. The GN1 is standard across this Pixel 6 line and Pixel 7, or I believe it's a newer version of that, maybe a GN2. Either way, it's a known quantity. We'd seen this sensor in previous devices. We don't know what this is, right? Google said that it's 70% larger than the sensor in the 6A, which means that obviously like the 6A was a tiny sensor. It's like one over three inches or something. Like it's a very small sensor. And Google did a lot with that sucker, right? Like we got a ton of great photos and video out of that. But what I'm seeing is like, this is a slightly bigger sensor. 
So it's obviously pulling in more light and Google is still pulling whatever magic it can out of its hat. That was a mixed metaphor, sorry. Uh, (laughs) But I do see a slight difference and I've seen slight differences between the 7A and the 7 in almost every review, but it's not significant enough to really matter. That is the thing with these phones is that you have to have them next to each other to really care or even notice the differences and no one except for tech reviewers is going to do that. Like, you're not going to go buy a 7 and a 7A and be like, I'm going to return the one I don't like. Like, no one's going to do that. But I also think that this is easily the best camera you can find on a phone at $500. Anything Samsung will sell you, the A54. Oh, the A54. Yeah, it's not even in the same league. Not even in the same ballpark. Yeah. Um, you can't, I mean, even going up to the S23, which is a flagship, does not come close to the level of quality of this camera. Maybe video is better on the Samsung, right? Probably. Yeah, I need to play around with video more. To be honest, I I only took a couple videos with my week with the phone. So that'll be in a bump. But yeah, I'd say the question that a lot of people are going to ask is, does this justify the $50 increase from the 6A? Does it work at the moment, given that the 7 is just around, like it's $100 more, it's probably going to get discounted tomorrow. Is it just that the 7 will be replaced by the 8 in four months? So Google's hoping that you pretend. Well, and how often is the 7A going to go on sale between now and then? We already are seeing this phone offered up with $50 gift cards from Best Buy and Amazon. Mint Mobile already has the phone $100 off. AT&T is offering it at 2 bucks a month for three years. So basically getting the 5A for $72. The list price, I think, isn't going to matter as much given how frequently pixels go on sale and how deeply carriers are discounting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So I guess, Will, like you you don't have a score for this, but where are you leaning? Yeah, I mean, in talking to other people at IO with the phone, everyone has like one of two opinions. And it's that it's either you might as well buy a 7, you know, the 7A probably isn't worth it. Or the 7A makes the 7 redundant. You should just buy a 7A. And I'm leaning more towards the former. Although, again, that is primarily because... <sighs> I don't like the display on this phone and the battery life is terrible and I don't feel that way about the 7. And so if you can find it relatively similarly priced, like you might as well get the 7. But I, I don't know, man. Like there are things I like more about the 7A. I, I like the it design looks better. matters. It, it does. The, the colors, I am begging Google to like make better colors on their premium smartphones. It's such a weird device because it almost feels like it's lacking in identity. Like it's a second take on a seven where they're like, what if we just made it a little cheaper? I don't know. I've never felt so like all over the place on a smartphone. I feel like I'm usually pretty okay at coming up with a take on one, like a consistent take. And on this one, I'm just like all over the place on whether I think it's even good or not. I don't know. I agree with you. Can I say one final thing on the 7A before we move on? Totally. Wireless charging on this phone, which A is... One of the two reasons that this phone now feels like an actual flagship instead of a mid-range. I want to thank Google for putting the lowest possible charging speed in its wireless charging sensor, because that means that I don't have to worry about, is it getting the fast charge that is so elusive on the (laughs) 7 and the 7 Pro? I can just put it on a charger and I know it's just going to be a slow charge. Trickle charge. I mean, Daniel, did you ever have that thing happen again where it stopped charging at like seventy no. percent? Okay, no, it didn't. I it charged normally the next night. Okay, that was weird. So it, it, I I woke up to the phone like so hot that I couldn't touch it, 
<laughs> and it was sitting at 76% and I had gone to bed at like 75%. So, but it was a magnetic charger. So clearly what had happened was it had aligned the magnets on the phone slightly oh, off. Okay. Okay. So the coil was far enough away that it was pulling a charge, but not f- too far away to actually charge it. And the heat was just getting spread out throughout the rest of the phone. So not not great. Not I'm great. sure I'm sure it wasn't great for the phone, but it only happened one night. I should quickly mention before we move on, since you reminded me, the other thing that I've I've had with this phone is that again, it's basically spec for spec with a, a Pixel 7 in every way that matters. And it's slower. I have felt it be slower than the seven, even like small things. I've seen stutter on the home screen. For some reason, I held both phones in my hands and like tested auto rotate on multiple phones and it's a beat slower to rotate for I do, every time like consistently um but manuel says his feels faster than a seven so again this could be a a weird thing for me moving apps and data over but um i don't know so i'll have more to say next week i think i'll, I'll come back with a definitive answer or i won't i don't know but i'll have a score it'll be scored <laughs> that's the seven a i think my takeaway is that if you can get a seven, get a seven, right? Yeah, I would say so. You'll get security patches for nine months or eight months more on the seven A, but otherwise, the seven is a better phone in every single way, except the colors. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, except the colors, and that's what cases are for. If, I, yeah, I was going to say everyone colors. slaps it in a case, so it doesn't. Yeah. But I think that this phone is good. If you buy it for your parents or whatever, they will be happy with it. I think the one advantage to this phone is the plastic back actually yeah like the fact that this has a plastic back that looks like a glass back means that i don't worry about this phone around my kids as much yes it's going to be in a case but either way i like the fact cases are not foolproof when it comes to impact resistance exactly exactly and having to only worry about impact resistance on the front of the phone instead of on the back of the phone too just makes things a world easier to protect yeah exactly so, I mean, that's the one reason I would recommend this, but that other, otherwise go with the 7. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about the Folds. So this, I think, is by far the most interesting product. You got to play with it at I.O. What was your first impression? $1,800 coming in at the end of June. Like, yeah, give us your take on it. Yeah, so when it's closed, it's Google's best hardware yet. And like, I don't think it's close. It feels really solid in the hand in a way that even like the 7 Pro doesn't quite. 12 millimeters sounds thick, but it, it's honestly, it, it feels so much more thinner than the, the Galaxy Z Fold 4, partially because it doesn't have a gap, but also just like each side of the fold is like thinner. It's only six millimeters on each side. So like it feels really good. The aspect ratio of the front screen is great. It's a 5.8 inch. I forget. It's just shy of 2.1. It's like 17 point something by nine or something. It's almost 2.1. They, they're using matte glass and it, it feels fairly similar to what's on the S23 series. Like it's great. The fact that you can pick up a pixel device and not have it get covered in fingerprints is awesome. I really, really, really like it when it's closed and then you open it and I don't like it. And I think it's ugly <laughs> like that. Like that's that's where I'm at on that. Um, but OK, whether it's ugly or not, I mean, yeah, fine. Like we can talk about the the look of it. But yeah, how does it work? Is it is it a good product? Is it a good experience? 
Maybe? I don't really know yet. I didn't experience any significant software bugs, although I watched Rich at XDA break the, like, flip open to take a selfie feature on his first try, and, like, the fold just, like, wouldn't properly open the, the like, back display, or the, the, like, when he was trying to reset it, like, the displays got screwed up, and it didn't know what to do for, like, 30 seconds, so. But then again, we're a month and a half from launch, so who knows what the software state will be like uh, when this arrives on shelves. The hinge feels good. It's easy to open, but it doesn't feel loose or anything. It doesn't open all the way. It stops shy of 180 degrees. You can tell if you, not that you should do this if you buy one because it's $1,800 and it's a plastic screen. But if you put it face down open, like you can see that it's like, I don't know, probably 176 degrees. You can push down on the hinge and it will like flex. It's not great. Google said that it has to do with oh god michael fisher tweeted about it and i i linked it somewhere in here um yeah they they need it to make the hinge so it has to do with the hinge yeah yeah that you can get it to 180 but its natural state is around 176 yeah i couldn't even get it to 180 to be honest with you but i believe that like i'm sure you can I i wouldn't recommend it yeah it's really wide. I know that sounds silly, but like I felt like it was almost too wide when it was open. Like I wanted it a little more narrow. Obviously, it opens like a book, so it's not like the Z Fold 4. It's it's like it's opening like if you turned the Z Fold 4 on its side, but it's much wider than that. And it feels a little too big. I don't know how to describe that. It's really something that like even looking at photos that I took right now in my hand, I'm like, that looks fine. But like I remember thinking this is too wide. Like, I don't like how this feels. Just to play devil's advocate here. I don't yeah. like how, like, squared off and upright the Fold 4 is just because it makes the phone as a whole just ridiculously tall. In all of the, like, hands-on photos, hands-on videos that I've seen, I've looked at this phone and I went, okay, that is a size I am comfortable with, especially when it's closed. Oh, when it's closed, it's great. It's closer to what I'm looking for. I just, I don't know honestly if they had just made the side bezels match the top and bottom so that they were bigger overall but they were uniform across the board i actually think i would find it more comfortable which is part of my issue with the bezels not even like i understand why they're there they're there literally for the hinge but google's decision to make it so that the side bezels are narrower than the top and the bottom means that the argument that oh well like it's a place for your fingers to rest like doesn't really come into play because that's where your fingers are going to rest but they made it thin literally if they just left the chunkier bezels i'd actually be happier with it i should also mention two things about the display first of all it's super reflective taking photos of this thing was like terrible we were outside it wasn't sunny yet it was still overcast thank god but like the inner screen is like so reflective more so than the z fold for for sure and then same with the crease it's very very visible especially because of how reflective it is but like i would say it's at least as visible as the z fold z fold for if not a little bit more is it a deeper crease than the fold though it certainly looks like yeah i would say it is i didn't bring i didn't have the fold on me so i i had i had already was already bringing four phones i didn't want to bring a fifth yeah it was a little deeper but i will have to get both of them next to each other also the bezel is a little raised so the display is almost like recessed into the phone and it feels really bad when your finger hits it it feels cheap and like kind of fragile i don't love it dear lord i mean i was so excited I am so excited. The device hype train part of my brain is just like on fire right now. And yet there is no couching the fact that this does feel to me, look to me, smell to me like 
a typical first-gen Google product. The problem is that they're charging $1,800, and Samsung will charge the same amount for a fifth-generation piece of hardware when the Fold 5 comes out. And we've seen rumors that the Fold 5 will have a new design that will have a slightly wider front display. And then this week, a case leak suggests that that will not be the case, and Samsung is sticking with that sort of longer candy bar design. Which is a huge mistake. It's a terrible, yeah. I, I am on board that it is a bad design and, and this is the way, and like it seems like everyone except for Samsung is on board with this is the future of the, the phablet foldable. Like, okay. this is how it should be. Maybe. And then, but, yeah. hear me out. Okay. Google hasn't even solved the issue of apps not being optimized for a landscape aspect ratio. Oh, right? yeah. So you oh, do yeah. have the Samsung solution of making it more portrait than landscape, making it basically like a square or close to a square, but with a slight bias on the vertical side, right? So that everything that is designed for portrait phones will at least work. It won't necessarily look great, but it'll work. It won't force you to turn the phone on its side, okay? Google's solution here is to force all portrait mode apps into the middle with wide black bars on either side. Or you can have two apps side by side, but that isn't really a solution here. Google keeps talking about optimizing apps for tablets. We'll talk about the Pixel tablet in a second. Optimizing apps for foldable displays. Optimizing apps for the future of flexible Android, right? Whatever that looks like. And all it could talk about was the apps that Google itself makes. The only thing that it could say on stage was that it optimized 50 apps for Which is tablets. so funny. Like, you want us to clap because you fixed your apps for your hardware? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Like, granted, these are 50 of the most used apps on Android, but they're still first-party apps. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they talked about Spotify being optimized well, for the this tablet. This is such a joke. Like, like the spot honestly, like, yeah. Spotify's like tablet interface mirrors like what it looks like. I'm not talking about the now playing screen. I'll say that in a second. But like if you're browsing for like an album, like if you're searching, it looks kind of like how it looks on a desktop computer or like a web browser, basically. Like it it's okay. But like the second you open the now playing screen, it's huge amounts of wasted space. I mean, like, what are we doing? Like, why is this you didn't Spotify didn't actually fix like it, it fixed half of it, but like that you could do more stuff with the now playing screen other than like make the album art huge like i don't know so the hype train fanboy part of my brain still on fire very excited about this despite all of those issues and then the other part of it is like the philosophical thoughtful side which is quieter most of the time granted but still there asking the question that you and i were talking about will last week why does this exist? Why do foldables exist in the first place? Do foldables actually solve a problem or are they a solution in search of a problem? And I'm really not sure anymore. I keep going back to my early experiences with the Galaxy Fold thinking, wow, this is going to change the way I use phones. And then I actually bought the Z Fold 3 and then I bought the Z Fold 4 and I used them. And most of my experience was more frustrating than delightful. And I'm worried that will be the case here. Okay. Google has done a little bit of work on this, which is basically like, instead of how Samsung does it, which is like, um, here's a really tall outer screen. Uh, good luck. It's like, 
you know, I have a photo of the Pixel Fold next to an S23 Ultra and like Gboard on it is like basically the same width across, right? Like you are essentially getting the same. You, the only thing you're losing is vertical space. You're not losing width, which is good because if you get a text message and you want to quickly reply and say like, on my way, if you do that on the Z Fold 4, it's annoying. And if you do it here, it will feel like you are using a real screen. The issue is like, for example, if you have the foldable open in the default state where it, it opens wide and you get a text message and you want to like respond to it because you were, I don't know, watching a video or something, you're now essentially texting on a tablet, which is like everyone Not knows great. is miserable. The Gboard split, the split screen layout is good. But it's not it's perfect. Good enough, but like, do you know what I'm faster on? Is like a standard smartphone, which is like what Google fixed with the outer display. <laughs> but then it's like, well, what? Why? Then why have like why exactly? Yeah, why have it in the first place? Yes, exactly. In my ideal world, if like say I'm watching a video and I get a message, I want the message to pop up on the left side, and I want the keyboard to pop up on the right in that lower half. Right. And just leave the keyboard up. So here's another example. And my hands on, I have a photo of the Oppenheimer trailer playing on YouTube. <laughs> Granted, it's a movie trailer, so it's Good trailer, really by the way. wide. But the video size is pretty much the size of like what it would be on an S23 Ultra. So I'm not really gaining anything extra there either. Yeah. Well, but that's just with the default split. You can adjust it up and down, can't you? What do you mean? Are you splitting no, this the left? The no, no, no. I have it in full screen mode. Oh, never mind. I could zoom in on the video, but then Christopher Nolan will actually come out of the bushes and attack me. So I can't. <laughs> also, I love that you pause it on the closed caption of why, why the Matt Damon. <laughs> I didn't even pause it. I took like six photos of it while it was That's playing. That's incredible that was because that's like <laughs> the only thing that I've read about this trailer is how overacting Matt Damon is. Like, yeah, it's going to be great. typically a pretty good actor, but everything so, that you see no, in that great. trailer is just it. Matt Damon going, why? Like in this like really overly dramatic way. And I, I'm just like, this, it's perfect that you took that photo. Like this photo is perfect because it's, it's that part of the trailer in the most reflective possible experience on this absolutely like, creased, gross-looking screen. Like, nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. Christopher Nolan would throw this in a garbage can. <laughs> That's why it. I took that photo, because I was like, this is not a good... Like, I'm not having fun watching this trailer here. I also just want to say that, like, I don't think Matt Damon is saying why, but he's being asked why, and I think Matt Damon says it's the most important thing we'll ever do. Oh, or something whatever. Like that. I, I, Which is, I, no, it's I even better. Exactly even better. Saying, but Even better, because it's even more overacted. Um, here's, yeah, uh, here's the thing about the, things, the Z Fold <laughs> series, is that yeah. the, the, the front screen is so small that you're incentivized to open the device more often, just to do regular phone things. The fact that this is a 5.8-inch display that's wide enough to use as a regular phone I think will dissuade people from opening it more often if that internal experience is as poor as you're suggesting, right? Like if I'm only opening my foldable once or twice a day to like read an ebook or and watch think, a YouTube video, yeah. is that even worth it? I think I that's really where know. it's going to be. I absolutely. Because I can see my, I liked, like I said, I liked holding it when it was closed. I kind of liked the short, fat screen. Like I enjoyed using it. And then, like, I would open it and I would not enjoy using it. So it's like, if I have the fold, if I go buy the fold, I can see myself like, well, I can scroll through Reddit on the outer display. I don't need to have it open on the on the main. It's like, what am I spending $1,800 for? It's, it's literally twice the cost of a Pixel yeah, 7 Pro. Yeah. 
So I guess we'll see. This is being released on June 27th. Pre-orders open. Pre-orders are open at the Google, open store, the Google store and they open at carriers. We don't know. But they Pro- should be no, coming June into the 20th, characters. Right? Oh, Verizon said that and I don't believe them. Because <laughs> only a week of pre-orders at every place besides the Google store just makes zero sense for a phone that you're going to have trouble selling. You mean a Google launch that is confusing and uh, opaque? No, I don't believe I you. don't know if I can, if I... Can I? I don't know if I can say this, but I I did talk to a Verizon rep at the at the event who also told me the twentieth. So I mean, I don't buy that. That's the knowledge that they have. Yeah, I can't believe Google is choosing that for a phone that already is has such an uphill climb. I just think that it, they just want to keep it exclusive to the Google Store for a month of pre-orders, right? Yeah. Also, they don't expect anyone to buy it, which is, by the way, why Daniel, your decision has already been made for you. Yeah, seriously. Uh, we should say it's coming to four countries, and Canada is not is not one of them. Yeah. Well, as as we suspected, so yes. I'm not surprised by this. I am already looking to import it, but like 1,800 US dollars plus tax is like 1,950, which is like 2,900 Canadian dollars. Not an amount of money I'm really excited to spend if I'm not trading yeah. in something. But you can save some money by uh, having me drive it to you. So That's true. I'll, I'll and we can have lunch. Exactly. But you're <laughs> buying because I'll be broke having to spend $3,000 yeah, $3, on, yeah, on a phone. So we'll see. <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to Arby's. Will. I will say I wish that one thing that they would say for Pixel Fold one customers is that if you buy the fold and you keep it for a year you for sure will be able to trade up to like the fold two or whatever for a ridiculously low price if there's this a is, fold again two. i would not guarantee first, that yeah no we can't guarantee that especially the way that resale values for android phones have been over the last six months to nine months even if you buy this phone at eighteen hundred dollars i don't even know if you will get a thousand dollars for it when you trade it in for a fold two the next year and that's the harder thing for me, because at least when Fold 4 orders opened, if you had a Fold 3 to trade in, it was only like two or $300, I believe, in order to upgrade to the Fold 4. And for the Fold 5, it damn well better work like that again, or otherwise there aren't going to be a whole lot of people who are ponying up 1800 for the Fold 5. Okay, tablet. So I think this is a more straightforward proposition here. $500 with the dock. The dock is $129. So everything we talked about in the previous episodes is true. All the leaks were right. Uh, $129 for the dock that does nothing. So it's just a speaker that is plugged into the wall. People seem confused about this. Literally I, I, nothing. I put it in my hands-on, and the first comment that the hands-on got was like, wait, the dock doesn't support cast? And like, people don't know this. They're going to think that it does, because yeah. why wouldn't you? I'm really hoping there's someone out there who will be able to like hack a thing in order to make like uh maybe just like a Bluetooth adapter or something that oh you God, can Google stick onto those force pogo you. pins. Google should not force you to do this. No. How difficult would it be to stick like a two cent SOC in there to give it casting ability? Like yeah. or it is even insane. without plugged that, in. Just, all insane. it needs is a Wi-Fi connection. That's yes. it. Yes. It's like, what what the hell? It's hundred and twenty nine dollars. Yeah. Even what are you getting be... for that amount? No, a paperweight. What's a computer? Even it's if not even a big speaker. Well, let, let's talk about the size of this thing because it is it's not <laughs> Nest Hub Max size. This is like yeah. Nest Hub size. It's like Nest Mini size. It's dinky. It's <laughs> I, not a big speaker. It's like as long as an S23 like Ultra. Like it's not <laughs> uh, I have a photo of the S23 Ultra like laid 
next to it and it's yeah this yeah. one blew my mind all right let's let's just talk about the tablet though it's an android sure. tablet um what's the i don't know value prop of this when compared to a lenovo or a samsung tablet like aside from the, the software speaker. will be better for sure like you, will it It'll I mean, be better than the Lenovo. I don't know if it would be better than the Galaxy I don't know about tab. a Samsung tablet. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I had that ready when you said Lenovo. I don't know about a Samsung tablet. I, the value proposition there is that like the Tab S8 is like 18 months old and still $700 or whatever. Man, it's well, just... Well, the competitor an- for this wouldn't be a Tab S8. The competitor for this would be the Tab S6 Lite or the A8, I think. Yeah, but I refuse to acknowledge those. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, it's an Android tablet. Like I, I, I have very little to say about the tablet itself. It's, it's fine. The display looks kind of dim in the photos I took, but it was bright enough. It's like 500 nits. It's totally fine for outdoor use. And to be honest, like Google is not, I think, selling this as a tablet you're going to take outside all the time. The back, the ceramic like coating is nice to hold, although the demo units were already kind of getting scuffed up. So I'm, I am curious how that will hold up over time. Well, that's what that fancy ass $80 case is for. The case is heavy. Well, it's a big freaking metal ring on the back of it. Yes. Like, you throw of it on. it's heavy. Their whole thing is like, well, you don't have to take it off because the metal ring lets you put it on the dock with the case on. But like, I think I would want to take it off when I'm just around the house if I'm not using the stand because it's heavy. The tablet itself is fairly light, but like it adds a lot of weight. The bezels are kind of a non-factor for me. I know some people are annoyed that they're thick, but I just like I think they'll blend into the background after a while. I I don't mind larger bezels on a tablet, to be honest, especially on the model with black bezels. Yeah, no, the that you only get the black bezels on the hazel is wrong. They should have done well, another colorway that had that. Or at least black and pink would have looked fire. <laughs> I don't disagree. That's all I have to say about the tablet, unless you guys have specific questions. Like, I think it'll be totally fine. I think people will like the screen as long as they like 16 by 10 aspect ratios and tablets. I don't, but that's a me thing. I know some people have no issue with it. Um, Here's yeah. a hot take. Yeah. This should not exist. Okay. It just should not okay. exist. Now that I've seen it, now that I've played with it, now that I... I'm trying to understand Google's hardware strategy. This should not exist. This is the fifth tablet the company has made. <laughs> They've made the Nexus 7, the Nexus 7 2013. Yeah. The best tablet the company's ever made because it was the basically a big phone. Yeah. The Pixel C was garbage. The Nexus 9. Oh. Oh, oh my God. I forgot about the Nexus 9. Yeah, exactly. 9. You forgot about the Nexus 9. The Nexus 9, the Pixel C, the Pixel Slate, and now the Pixel tablet. Okay. Yes, the Pixel Slate was a Chromebook, but come on. That counts. So this is Google's fifth go at designing a tablet. And they, after 13 years, just settled (laughs) on a couch tablet that you happen to dock at a bunch of speakers that otherwise do nothing around your house. I am just flabber. I am, I am, I have no words to describe how useless this is. Buy an iPad. Just do it. Buy an iPad. Look, That's it. This exists for people who are, and I'm sure there are some listening who are diehard. Like, I will not use any iOS device. I don't care. But like, like guys, like the iPad is pretty good. <laughs> like, but, it, but here's it, the thing. This isn't even a smart display, yes. right? Like you plug it, you, you do get ambient mode when you dock it. So you get your Google photos, but this is not a smart display. It doesn't have that, those same quick smart home, like, 
Wait, I thought yes, it did. It has smart home controls. Yeah, because it still had the smart home control, and I thought you could still set timers. It has Google Assistant, but like this is still running Android. Yes, it has photos. It has smart home controls. It has Assistant. That's it. But that's all the Nest Hub has, isn't it? No, Nest Hub has like the cards that you can swipe through, or it'll show you the weather. It it, it, like like the Nest Hub will show you Sonic stuff. Yes, exactly. It'll show you additional stuff. It'll it has give the you, sensors. Like, it has video recommendations if you want, like all that stuff. Yeah, it has a speaker that is actually enjoyable oh, okay. to listen okay. to. Can we can we talk about so so Daniel? Did you get hands on time with the tablet? I can't remember. I did. I got hands on time with the tablet. I listened to the okay. speaker a little bit. So were you indoors? Yes. Great. Did it sound good indoors? No. It did okay, because I was like, I was listening to it, and I was like, maybe it's because I'm outdoors, but this sounds like garbage. Like, how, I don't, how I, could it sound great? It's got the same size driver as a Nest so, Hub. To be fair, and the person who was showing me the display chose Billie Eilish's "Bad Guy," which is probably not no. a great song to demo. Lots this of on. bass in that. Not it, great. Lots for the of speaker. bass. Right, and so basically, the speaker was more of a subwoofer at that point, and right. it yeah. put out plenty of bass. The bass sounded muddy as hell. It was not good. I I was like, hold on, can I take this back off so I can like compare it? And so I I took the tablet back off. And listen to it for a second and then put it back on. And I was like, all this seems to be adding is extra bass. And so I was like, maybe it's quiet. And so I went to turn it up and it was already at 70% volume. So I just pumped it all the way up at an event where like people were filming video. Like someone should have given me an angry look that I was suddenly blasting music. And the issue is that you can't blast music on this. It's too quiet. I do kind of wonder whether or not if this is a cast target and you can set it in the Google Home app as such. I wonder if you will be able to like, oh, you can magnetize it to the dock and then it'll play on that speaker plus all of the other Nest audios in your house or something. But yeah, the dock doesn't do anything except wirelessly charge the thing. And that's kind of a bummer. (laughs) Okay, you know the Michael Scott thank you gif from The Office? Just like, thank you. What? I will say, this this is the first time I've actually wanted a tablet from Google. In about uh, 10 years. I don't. But like, I'm also the anti-enthusiast when it comes to tablets. Because like I like Chromebook tablets. I would want this because it's something that I could try out. And then if I liked it, it would potentially be something that I could like, get my mother and she could use. So I wish you could like pull up the recipes and have it on the stand when she's in the kitchen. But she already has a Nest Hub. So there's literally no point for this device for her. And for me, it's a matter of, okay, I want a tablet that I don't have to worry about charging. And the only reason that I know that that is a thing that people would want is because I know people who have gone through like five or six different Kindles or Fire tablets for their mothers because they keep messing up the charging ports. Sure. Fine. But then you have to get up and dock it. Most people are not going to do that, I think. Most people are just going to leave it on their table, put it in a drawer, and it's going to get forgotten about the same way that Google described other tablets as being cast aside and never charged. Like this is their solution, but I don't know about you at 1030 on a Thursday night and I'm using my tablet on my couch and then I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. I'm not getting up and putting no, this thing back on its dock. I'm just leaving it, is, it on the yeah, table. It's it's just going in front of you and, and that's it because tablets don't really need to be charged every night anyway. So like, well, I don't hold off until we <laughs> yeah, it, I exactly. Guess, we'll see. <laughs> Okay, I, I, w- I don't want to talk about this anymore. This is, this you know is annoying You're me right. now. Yes. Let's move on. Let's go to some <laughs> of the other things. So we'll talk some AI stuff, and then we'll end with some of the, the Google software announcements around Android, Wear OS. 
All right, Google Bard. Google Bard is now available to people in 180 countries. Unfortunately, it's not available in the EU or Canada yet. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Which is weird. Yeah, I just I discovered that this morning. I didn't listen to the morning. EU. I didn't hear about Canada not happening. Boy, Super they hate weird, you. right? But I, <laughs> I suspect it has to do with you know just making sure that it's Existing adhering litigation to all privacy about... regulations. Yeah. Either way, if you are not in the EU or Canada, if you're like in Uzbekistan, then you can use Bard now. I think obviously Bard has had a a tepid introduction to the world. It was pretty bad. It's been updated fairly often over the last couple of months. I think it's received it's, like four or five better. big updates. Google really emphasized the fact that like not only is it using a newer version of its large language model backend, but it now does a lot more programming stuff automatically. It's a little bit smarter and it's getting extensions, which means that you'll be able to plug other services directly into Bard. You are going to be able to export directly to Gmail and Sheets and other places like that very soon. So Bard is definitely becoming a better overall service. It's still going to be a standalone chatbot. And therefore, if it's not really the chatbot that people think of, they think of ChatGPT, I don't think Bard is going to get the uptake that Google wants. And that's probably fine for Google because the line that Google has to tow is, we don't want this to cannibalize our core search product. We want it to stand on its own and just be something that people can use, not necessarily trust the data coming out of it. But then there's AI in search. And I think this is really interesting. So Google is adding a feature in labs. So if you go to google.com slash labs, you can sign up right now and join the wait list. But essentially what it is, is you'll be able to have a conversation with Google search. And there's a conversation mode that you'll be able to kind of like continue the conversation if it doesn't get it right the first time. And then it will not only show you results from the knowledge graph plus all of its large language model-based results, but if you're still not satisfied with that, you can scroll down and then go see the home pages. Now, I think Google needs to be really, really cautious with this because advertisers don't want to advertise against something that you will have to scroll down halfway down the screen to see the first ad. And I'm sure eventually companies will be able to advertise directly within the AI-based search. But for publishers like us, this is also a warning shot against the bow because Google is no longer relying just on organic results to populate its search. It's using this generative AI to basically make those summaries for you. They tried to, I think, cover both bases in the demo. They, they at one point showed like a sponsored result and they were like, look how obvious that this is sponsored. And it just had the word sponsored above it. There was nothing else. But then they also at one point roped in, they were like, this result is from this mommy blog. And I was like, okay, so this is for all the press in the, in the stands right now. It's like, look, guys, we're not going to totally destroy you. Just a little bit destroy you. Yeah. I mean, it can't destroy us fully, but it's like Google is in a really tough spot here. And I think the experience looks fine, right? This idea that as search users, we haven't really been trained to like ask things put things in the text box that are more complicated than like just a basic questions, right? Because we're not expecting Google necessarily to answer that question. The knowledge graph does a good job with that. But most of the time I'm looking for a website, 
And I think Google doesn't want people to overly rely on its own generative AI results, which is why it's in labs. And it probably will stay in labs for a while, if not indefinitely, because it does not want to undermine its core business. And it will never make as much money from that single sponsored ad in the conversation mode as it will from seeing multiple ads in its listings before you get to organic results. So yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm very, very curious how this will impact the use, the way that people search. And I'm a little scared, to be honest. We'll have to see. So their big demo on this was, I'm searching for a, a good bike for a five mile commute with hills. And it, you know, was like, consider these things. Here are some of the best bikes. And it pulled up results that varied from like $500 to like $4,000. And like, there are definitely spaces where this will be good. But like, and to be fair, like pulling in context, it'll never beat it. But like, I don't know if I'm still ready to break away from my proven method of just putting the word Reddit after. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. <laughs> the other part of it too is like, Google shopping is not something that we really think about. I don't use Google Shopping for anything. I rely on websites, hopefully like ours. This really just obviates the need to click out because you're basically teaching people to trust the results because they have been consolidated, not just from Google Shopping, but it takes Google Shopping listings and it brings in other bits and pieces, reviews from Android police. It'll, you know, it'll take things from all of the results that it's indexing and give you a summary. In theory, that's good, but it does really impact business models that have been built up over the last decade. And, you know, we talk about like how much AI is going to disrupt regular businesses or how IBM decided not to hire 7,000 people because it's going to give those jobs to AI. There are tangible ways in which AI is already disrupting the technology industry. But to me, like this is the first time that I've seen it really come at me personally and it's not great like i've never worried that like ai is going to destroy journalism but the fact that journalism so closely relies on google to index its content google discover google search google news that is a problem and this just reinforces that right google is making these decisions based on what it believes its competitors are going to do right if we don't do this if we don't add generative AI to search, somebody else is going to come and steal our market share. Bing is going to use Sydney to like lure you away and, and like flirt with you or whatever. But like that's just not realistic. I think people are going to stick on Google and Google is going to start using more and more of these tools. And it's just going to slowly eat away at the traditional way that people use search. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe the search experience is going to be better because there's a lot of crap out there, a lot of sites that just optimize for SEO, and that's it. But what I find so interesting, and this is sort of inside baseball, but over the last year, Google has emphasized in every one of its algorithm updates, the human touch. You need to show that if you are reviewing something or you're rounding up a set of products, like you know our best Android phones roundups or whatever, you have to prove that it is a person with experience and expertise with these products. It's not just some newbie who's researching things on Amazon and spouting out whatever those listings are saying. And then it's coming out with something like this where it's going to take all that human work and just consolidate it all into the results for 
it's generative AI. Can I say that I'm actually not terribly worried about this, at least for probably the next like four or five years? Like I've asked Bard for like case recommendations before. And I tried it for like five or six different phones and it gave me the exact set. It had a list of like 10 cases and it would pick seven from it and recommend those every time. Right. But it's pulling old data. Yeah. Right. The longer these language models have. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom right now, but Google has been talking about this for four years already. And it's now coming to search its core product. And that, to me, means in four years from now, Google search is going to look very different than it does today. And therefore, our jobs or many other jobs that rely on Google search are going to look very different. And that, to me, is worth, it's not, maybe scary is not the right word. Like, we're going to adapt. It's going to be fine. But I also think it's just, it's really interesting. What I've taken from this is that Google should also start paying me for my phone reviews. And I should be getting two paychecks. <laughs> I mean, Canada wants that. Canada is and asking I, I, Google. I'm to joking, pay. but I agree with that. Like, I, I think if you're going to source me in your chatbot and search, then there should be kickback because I'm doing the hard work and you are using it to not push people to my website. And I'm using my, but our, et cetera. Google and Facebook and other distributors of information have been forced in Australia to pay news organizations to syndicate that content and they should <laughs> it's too bad i live in the united states of america where this stuff will never come to pass but you know i'm glad to see it happening in other countries even if google is going to like collate from all of our sources and steal mine and thousands of other commerce writers work i at least wish that they would at the very least source the top 10 articles that they pulled data from because right now it looks like they're only, in all the examples they gave, they only showed three sources whenever they were doing the shopping results. And that is not enough. Because even though it's just basically going to give us a list of like, here are the cases that we recommend and here are like some really short blurbs about it. I want people to be able to click on the source and actually read more about these cases or whatever product. Because people wrote in way more depth about these things. And Google is just giving you not even the cliff notes. So I, I still think people are going to need more context and whatnot, and they're going to still need the actual like results. But the lack of sourcing in Bard so far, and in many of the AI examples that they showed on Wednesday, the sourcing just was not up to snuff. Yeah. I think it just speaks to the fact that this is pretty early. Google has actually emphasized that it does a far better job of sourcing than ChatGPT or many of its other competitors. The biggest issue that I have with Bard right now, having used it for so long, is that every time I am away from the tab for too long, it resets the chat window and puts me back where I started. I gave it a question. I went and looked at one of the apps to see whether or not the response was correct when it said I could read X and X series on X and X app. It couldn't, so it was inaccurate. But when I went back to thumbs down the prompt, the Chrome window reloaded and wiped it out. And that happened in the span of like 30 seconds. Again, these are all beta products. Like I'm not going to put too much emphasis on the quality of the experience right now. Like let's move on and talk a little bit about like the actual backend part of this. So Google introduced Palm 2, which is its second generation language model, you know, introduced Palm 1 last year. The interesting part about this is they are basically creating it in four different sizes 
They're calling it gecko, otter, bison, and unicorn. Gecko is the mobile version. So it's so lightweight that its API can run offline on a mobile device like a phone. It'll actually, when I eventually is loaded onto Android or its API is available on like inside of an app, you won't need an internet connection. It won't be doing anything in the cloud. It'll just work, which is crazy to me. And then it's going all the way up. So like you get these levels or scales of experience based on what you need all the way up to the enterprise cloud level through Google Cloud. This is what powers Bard. It's what powers all of the other generative AI stuff that we're going to talk about in a second. So that's coming. It's interesting. And then let's just talk about the actual products that Google is launching that use AI. So there are three that the company talked about right at the beginning of the keynote. The first is Write For Me in Gmail. Will, what was the impress? Like, this was the first thing Sundar talked about after he gave his long spiel about the future is AI. What was the mood like on the ground there? Like, were people like, oh, okay, or was there actually excitement when he was talking about this stuff? From like regular attendees, like, people seemed really into it. I feel like the like, press section was like much quieter i know i was sitting with a couple other reporters and we were kind of being like this seems a little like okay this is probably like my perspective on it only and like it's not gonna gel with everyone else's but like a lot of including you know help me write but like a lot of the prompts that they showed it's like okay i don't know if this is saving me a ton of time or like i don't know how i would like fit this into my into what i do i've never had an issue writing an email to customer service or to PR firms or anything like that. But then again, like I, that's me. Like there are other people who like do not know how to start an email. They don't know. I, I mean, and there's like, also people mean, like, who just you know, take dear. longer to compose a narrative and yeah. write. I mean, we are all writers by trade. So we are all very fast when it comes to our writing. Yeah. So there was the story thing, which I found kind of unconvincing or like the, yeah the organizing and sheets thing where you could like take a bunch of colleges and then now like, that tr- straight up looked like magic it i lo- do not looked, believe it could work that well it looked good i did think that if someone in my family sent me an ai organized data sheet i would call them a nerd i would shove them in a locker but so th- um, that was that was called project task rabbit or something yeah it was it, it, was, it wasn't task I mean, rabbit. whatever it is it's magic if i could do that and have it collate all of my case yeah. data before a product launch i'd be amazed but i do not believe this would work so okay let's just go back to help me write for a second so this is a feature that is coming to gmail on the web and presumably on mobile eventually and it will literally you'll you'll offer it a prompt and it will write for you in a way that you can currently ask Bard or ChatGPT, write an email to a customer service representative in a polite way while also being assertive about wanting a refund, right? That's a typical thing that you might want to write. That was the demo that Google gave. And you can then change the tone. You can change the humor. You can change how long it is, right? Like that's what levers you're going to be able to pull. This is literally just pulling Bard functionality or ChatGPT functionality into Gmail, giving you some UX that's like very clearly focused on improving the writing experience. But that at its core is what I think Google and a lot of other companies think about how generative AI will help you improve your day. So there's that. And it's it's coming. It's, it's going to be available across the board. Uh, it, it's also going to help 
be in Google Messages on Android uh, through Gboard to some extent. Yeah, I thought that was terrible. Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, if, if you need help crafting a message to your friends to ask them to go to dinner with you, like, I don't, like, what are you doing? Like, I, I just, I don't know. That one, I was very unconvinced of the use case for it. Like, that was the best demo they could come up with. And I still was like, but you'll just be able ask- to write it in haiku. I so don't. If somebody's being passive aggressive with you, you can just respond to their text in a haiku. This sounds terrible. This <laughs> like 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 this sounds like they're making messaging much more annoying than it already is. So I count me out on this one. But um, you know what, Daniel? If I I'll, I only want you to to message me in haikus now. So. I will. I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> the next thing was cool. Immersive view for routes in Google Maps. So Google introduced immersive view. Last year, I believe, which was sort of an AI-powered flyover mode, it lets you get right up to landmarks and a lot of cities around the world, it gives you sort of a, a better idea of what, what things look like. It's 3D generated. Apple has a similar product. I think it's actually called flyover mode. This is immersive view for routes. So this is like you're trying to find your way to something. And Google Maps right now, you get driving directions, biking directions, walking directions, and it gives you the step-by-step instructions. This will then actually take that immersive view, that 3D generated immersive view, and like walk you through the route, give you weather conditions. It will let you like scroll through the day to see the different weather conditions, which I think is kind of neat. Air quality, and it will like literally show you where you need to go because of that 3D generated map that it has for you. Now, this is only rolling out in a few cities, and it's going to be very limited at the beginning, 15 cities by the end of the year. I was impressed that some of those were international cities, and they weren't just all in the U.S., though. Yeah, Amsterdam, Berlin, Dublin, Florence, Las Vegas, London, L.A., Miami, New York, Paris, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, Tokyo, and Venice. A good cross-section. So this is cool. I think that this will be like a really practical use of AI, like it's not generative AI exactly, but it's it's kind of like a very interesting way of, of utilizing that data. And then the next one is Magic Editor. So Magic Eraser, I can't believe it was only introduced a year ago at IO because it feels like we've had it forever. At first it was a pixel only feature. Now it's available to anybody with a well, Google uh, One long, subscription. Longer, pixel 6. Magic Eraser was, was Pixel it 6. Last? Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It was Pixel 6. My yeah. bad. So it was two years ago. Wait, was camouflage introduced last year then? I, I, I Camouflage was introduced with the 6A. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm forgetting my timeline here. But the Magic Editor is kind of taking Magic Eraser and just like making it more of like an overall image editor. You can move things around. You can really like mess with specific elements of the picture. This is going to be really interesting, I think, because... While AI-based image editing tools have been available for months, years, whatever, this is the first time that it's going to be available inside a lot of phones' default image editor. And I think that is going to be a sea change, right? Samsung and Apple are going to have no choice but to do the same thing here. I'm excited to see what this looks like, but it also just like completely destroys the Im- the idea of like an image. <laughs> well, you even know, more than any photo that you take. Well, yeah. I, I will say I'm yeah, happy exactly. that they spent as much time talking about watermarking these images, uh, watermarking these images and the other generative AI images. Although I want to know how that's going to work. And I also want to know how other people are going to be able to tell other than downloading an image and opening up the metadata on every single one. 
Yeah, what 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 did they say about that? I missed I missed the watermarking side. So they said that it was very important in order to be able to tell you like, yeah, this was generated by AI or this was edited by AI. They mentioned that they were having like an exclusive or super secret watermarking method. And then they also mentioned that it was created by using generative AI was going to also be in the uh, metadata, I think in the EXIF data, which I don't know how much that helps considering that is the first thing people delete from photos a lot. So I'm not very sure how well that's going to help. But I want whatever watermarking, like if they actually watermark images in a like super secret, like there's codes buried wherever way, I want there to be a system for that because we need to be able to tell. Right. But if it's proprietary, there needs to be sort of the FIDO alliance for AI image editing detection, right? It might not have been proprietary. I'm struggling to think of like the right word because they didn't say how they were doing. If if memory serves, they did not say how they were doing it. There are companies that are focusing on this problem. Like there are a lot of independent startups that are trying to make it so that there is a standard for deceptive imaging detection or images that have been modified in a meaningful way. I think it will contribute. I don't think it's going to be like a sea change in any meaningful way. There are tons of modified images online already. You don't need to single out Google Photos, but well, I, I I'm talking about using it more. It, like for Google Photos, the, I I don't know if they mentioned the watermarking during like the magic uh editor function of Google Photos because uh they talked about the watermarking more when they were like showcasing uh the generative AI as parts of like um Google Slides and other workspace things. Yeah, yeah. So it says we plan to give select Pixel phones early access to Magic Editor later this year. While this new experimental tech will open up exciting editing possibilities, we know there might be times where the result isn't exactly what you imagined. So feedback will be important and allowing you to easily enhance. So it doesn't actually mention anything about like the responsibility of the EXIF data and the metadata in the blog post, which is disappointing. But I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll talk about that in the future. I am really excited, real quick for the goofs like the the images that it will mess up oh yes this is that there's going to be hundreds of them it will be fun it's going to be great yeah all right uh let's talk about the android stuff so very quickly there wasn't a ton but uh a lot of it was just like dumb shit creating emoji wallpapers and i mean i wouldn't wallpapers. i was gonna say i wouldn't necessarily call the emoji thing and the generative ai wallpapers dumb like okay if, it affects it? no it affects nobody <laughs> it's a it's a novelty but it's, i wouldn't say it's dumb okay interesting anything that can help draw joy and give us something besides just having the same picture photo wallpaper we've had for the last 6 years in pl- one place is is nice uh the cinematic wallpapers oh my god it, so bad oh, i i'm so I'm... glad you guys in slack were like no it looks bad on the stream too because watching it in the stands it was like this looks terrible like oh my god the effect was so overboard well here's the thing if these were photos that were taken by pixels that they used it on i would maybe be able to understand if they have like a better sense of the depth here but this was obviously a photo that was just run through it and wasn't taken on a pixel and you can tell because the depth data is in no shape or form correct. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah, I don't know. But also, I really want to know why they picked that picture when you could pick literally any photo and you had to pick the one where 
this is something that somebody reviewed. Just pick something that works properly. So there's a couple things that are Android that they're, and we talk about this every year at IO and it's never, it's still confusing, but there's some pixel specific features. And then there are some Android 14 things that may come to other devices, but may not. So we'll try to get it right. But basically there are improvements to the lock screen editing on pixel devices that are coming later this year with android 14 this is an ios uh response and exactly oh 100 it looks much worse than what it's <laughs> so bad it oh yeah i know 100 it, it's it i swear to like they've had a a year basically to like get this done <laughs> it looks so well, bad. not even that there are so many app customization options on android like bring in the people that actually make the good stuff please because like there are entire communities around things like custom live widget and custom live wallpaper, uh, rest in peace. But there were a number of those that did customization for lock screens that you could have brought in in order to create something that was easy to use and much higher quality. And what we got instead was super basic stuff in super basic fonts. Agreed. Yeah, this is coming in Android 14, along with the Magic Compose feature that we talked about in Google Messages. That'll, I think, come later this year. Then there's the emoji wallpapers and cinematic wallpapers, which we just dunked on. I'm all for fun. These don't look great, in my opinion. Those are coming with the next quarterly Android update. So in like a month. I will say for the emoji, they needed to at least get put some gradients on here or something. Because just picking two colors and then picking your emojis, it feels lazy as hell. And then later this year, you'll be able to... This is my favorite part. So you'll be able to create custom wallpapers that match the material you palette of your phone with text prompts in various styles. So that's coming with Android 14. I don't know if the palette part comes first or if it's a, we generate the AI and then we can use that same palette that we use for the generative AI to get material. Uh, material Sorry, you're right. Use. It's flipped. So you, you say like, I want- Although I'm sure you can incorporate color into your text prompt. Yeah, like you can say, like, I want a beautiful house as my background in post-impressionist style, and it will create that, and then the colors of your phone will reflect that, so your icons will be yellow and green or whatever. But this is neat, right? It's going to be built into the wallpaper app experience. Google hasn't done a lot with generative images yet. At least they haven't really done much on the consumer side. Palm 2 supports bimodal exporting, right? So it'll have both images and video support or images and text. But this is the first time I think that Google's used this in like a consumer facing way. So that's neat. Uh, but yeah, there, that, this was really not a big Android keynote, which isn't surprising. It came and went. It was it was a footnote. It, it really yeah. felt like, oh, yeah, our mobile operating system. Anyway, um, you guys <laughs> want to talk hardware? Like, yeah, it was. I mean, I hate to say this at this point, but are we missing anything major in the Android mobile experience? N- no. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of what features they could come up with that wouldn't either just be superfluous or just tacking something on in order to have something new. No, it's a mature operating system. It, it It's Windows. Like, it, it will be what it is, and it'll go through redesigns. We'll get Material U2 and Bono will come out on stage and they'll do a whole thing <laughs> and <laughs> it'll be great. It'll be, it'll 20, 2026. I'm calling it, but no, like Android is what it is. And the features that Google are, is going to highlight for smartphones are going to be either, you know, AI based in their apps like messages or, 
built into the pixel experience good god give it a name and that'll be it and android will be what it is and some of that stuff will trickle down but yeah i mean we're just at the point where android 12 will be the most exciting launch for a while and it's only because it had a redesign for the most part and it had a new design language and yeah but as far as like the mobile operating system android goes like we are where we are i don't know yeah not not a ton of surprise there i i I just think like android as a product is making it's it's like why does it exist now it powers three billion devices or whatever three and a half billion but is it a business the way that google intended it to be a business or is it just a front end for search which i think increasingly it's it's obvious like i don't think they're making money or a lot of money from the play store it doesn't seem to be a great business on its own so yeah all right let's round things up there's a, a couple of small things that came out of uh, the developer side so wear os 4 was announced sort of accidentally wear os 4 is going to come to the Galaxy Watch 6 later this year. It'll de- Google said it will debut on a Samsung wearable. It has a, a few interesting things that we can talk about. It'll offer better battery life. It'll have a proper backup and restore feature, gosh, which is neat <laughs> that, that it doesn't have that right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and there, there are just going to be a better emphasis on health and, and, and all that stuff. Not, not surprising. Google also said that WhatsApp is releasing a standalone app on Wear OS this year, which is cool. I think my favorite part, though, is Google is making it way easier for people to build watch faces. It's now just going to be an XML file that you can program using, uh, I think it's called watch face link format, Format. watch face format. Right. And it's like very straightforward markdown. You don't have to be a coder to create it. It's not like you have to create an APK. It's just something that you can build. And I think this will foster a lot of interest again in in watch faces, mm-hmm. which I'm really hoping So about. long as they are easy to install and I can maybe, I wonder if Bard will be able to code watch faces for me. Yeah, I mean, why not, right? Generative AI watch faces, like that sounds amazing. Uh, there's also Gmail and calendar apps that are coming, dedicated ones for Wear OS, which, okay. Fine. Um, I'm surprised that they don't exist already. I mean, I don't really get the point of having the email app on your wrist. Calendars I could see in order to like check your schedule whenever. But like I've had Microsoft Outlook on like Microsoft Outlook is one of the standard apps that is installed on the Galaxy Watch 4 and Galaxy Watch 5. And it does nothing. Mm -hmm. And you can already reply to emails through the notifications on your wrist. So so long as the Google Keep app keeps working on watches, I will be content. And then finally, Android 14 Beta 2 was released on the day of the I.O. keynote. It fixes a lot of bugs that were introduced in Beta 1. It's still buggy. Google is still acknowledging that. But uh, it does introduce Ultra HDR capabilities. So there's now 10-bit HDR support in Android 14. So if your phone supports Ultra HDR, which is an up and coming format, and your screen supports it, like the full pipeline supports Ultra HDR, Android 14 will be able to display them properly, which is uh, very nice. So look forward to that. And then there's just a whole bunch of other stuff that, uh, actually the predictive back gesture is finally enabled by default, I think on beta two. Oh really? I thought you still had to dive into, I thought I saw Michelle say that you still had to dive into 
uh, dev settings. Oh, you you do. Sorry, it's it's yeah. uh, you can you can invoke a call, but it's it'll now work yeah. across all apps, I believe. Oh, good, good. That's it. We have another beta in June, um, and those are the platform stability betas. We have two more betas, and then the final release in August. So, yeah, we're getting close. Uh, it's yeah. going to be good. That's it. I think we are done. Oh we God. did IO in an hour and a half. We said we would do it in an hour. <laughs> we did it in an hour and a half, which is not surprising. Well, we, but we, we all knew that an hour was impossible. When we got when we got to the fold at like the 25 minute mark or yeah, something, exactly. I was like, this is going long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we did our best, guys. All right. Um, let us know what you thought of Google I.O. 2023. If you, if you enjoyed any of the announcements, podcast at androidpolice.com. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, thank you, uh, Will. You are amazing for getting up this morning and actually doing this podcast. Ara, you are also amazing for all of the work you did uh, across the many days of prep and the coverage that we put out. So very impressed with both of you. And uh, I'm also very impressed with everybody who keeps coming back and listening to us. Uh, We have a lovely core group of listeners uh, who, who tell us that they like the show. So keep that coming. Send us emails. We love hearing from you. Uh, That's it. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.